Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. Uh, somebody watched one of our videos on uh, the Internet yesterday, or actually last night, and uh, I think it was the video on Republic. And uh, had a, I was on another radio show yesterday, and uh, some of these terms came up, like Republic, and actually on Facebook, there were some people that were talking about a republic, and I made a few comments, and, and somebody who's not normally on my Facebook page, who doesn't know who I am, uh, made a comment back because of that overlapping nature of Facebook. And uh, they said, well, clearly the more you say, the more I realize that you don't know what you're talking about, uh, because I give you facts, and... Uh, and uh, you come back with uh, your opinion. Well, I guess anybody who reads my books, you know, that I don't just come back with my opinion. I come back with, you know, hundreds of footnotes as to where I get this crazy notion. And and the problem in, in every one of these cases is the fact that people don't know the definition of the word republic. And one of the reasons why is because people have been trying to alter the definition of a republic for quite some time. Most of what people think of as a republic or a constitutional republic, which is kind of an oxymoron, a constitutional republic, uh, or can be, um, is uh, they think that a, an indirect democracy is the same as a republic. Uh, a republic is not a democracy. It is the antithesis of a democracy. In a republic, which originally comes from a Latin idiomatic phrase, Liber res publica, which means free from things public, uh, has to do with a form of government in which the rulers or leaders, I should say leaders, that's incorrect for me to say rulers, um, although it could be applied in some situations, the leaders of a republic are titular. Now, that's a, that's a, it goes all the way back to Bouvier's and, you know, for hundreds of years, that reference to the leaders being titular has been consistent for the definition of a republic. Well, titular means in name only. They have no personal authority themselves. They have an office and the name in that office, but they have no authority. It's kind of like the original Senate of Rome, which kind of meant the old men. And it had no legislative power, uh, really, except over, you know, matters concerned in the Senate itself. You know, it couldn't regulate, it couldn't say, okay, we're all going to go to war, you know, you could all be drafted into the army and now you all have to do things our way. No, they, they didn't have that power. They were just representatives of individual free uh, people. And the Senate was, you know, they, they arrived at the Senate through a, a network of people. You know, so many people got together, hearths, they used to call them, and they would uh, elect somebody who would elect somebody with other men like themselves, and eventually they would end up with this Senate, who usually was consistent of old men. And they would get together and they would talk things and then they would go back to their constituency and, and say what the consensus of opinion was. They had no power 
to rule over other people. They were simply bringing a representation to a single group so that they could talk things out and then take that representation, whatever that group came to a conclusion of, and bring it back to the people and see if they wanted to cooperate. That's a republic, free from things public, not subject to kings or old men. You You were working together as a community for a common purpose because the leaders were titular. They weren't rulers. Now, I said the word uh senator could be referred to as a ruler because they did have the power to rule over certain things like when are we all going to meet? You know, the majority of them would say, well, we're going to meet tomorrow at 9 o'clock. And everybody agreed, or most everybody agreed. Nobody could stop that meeting simply because one guy says, well, I don't want to meet at 9. I only want to meet at 10. Well, he, he doesn't have to show up till 10, but they... They could make decisions like that. It's kind of like the executive orders of the president. The original first executive order of George Washington was, what kind of dishes are we going to get? Yeah, that was it. That was it. Originally, the executive office of the United States was to execute the decisions of the Senate and Congress. The Congress was the representatives of the people. Uh, and uh, in the Senate was the representatives of the states, sent by the states, elected by the states. Now, that changed by the 17th Amendment, but it wasn't the 17th Amendment alone that brought that change about. The 17th Amendment was actually an adjustment to a change that was already taking place, is that the executive power of the government was now expanded because... Now there was more to make executive powers over, which was the citizens of the United States, who were no longer citizens of their local state, but citizens of the United States. You know, and actually, to to get a gun now, in the state of Oregon, somebody was just talking to me about filling out the, you know, somebody I know just bought another gun, saw a good deal on a twenty-two rifle, and he, he said, uh, you know, I paid almost that much ten years ago. And so he bought another one. And so he had to do the background check now. And so he went down the questions. And one of the questions was, have you ever denounced your citizenship to the United States? And they also had another question there that was really kind of unique. Have you ever denounced your citizenship to the state of Oregon? And it was very interesting that they put it there because normally you're not classified as a citizen of the state of Oregon. You're classified as a resident of the state of Oregon and a citizen of the United States. Well, if you know, I, I, I mentioned, pointed out that distinction once before in a group of ministers who had invited me, and one of them said, "Well, you know, that's not what resident means. Is that you know, you know, I'm a resident of Oregon, but I'm also a citizen of Oregon." And uh, and I says, "Well, actually, a resident means that you're a foreigner." residing in another location. And see, if you're a citizen of the United States, you're a foreigner to Oregon. So they use these terms kind of in an odd sort of way and and, and misapplied as the same term. But if you said citizen of the state of Oregon back in 1858, uh, or 18, say, 60, uh, 
or a citizen of Texas would be even a better example. Uh, it meant something quite a bit different. You weren't a resident of Texas. You were a citizen of Texas. If you went to Washington, D.C. and lived there, you would be a resident of Washington, D.C. <laughs> but not not a citizen. But then along comes, you know, the 14th Amendment and now you can be a citizen of the United States and a resident of your local state. Anyway, that may be a little bit too complicated. The The point is, is that this idea of a republic, because Texas used to be a republic, and then it became a state of the United States, and it still refers to itself as the sovereign state of Texas, although it's not sovereign anymore because of everything from revenue sharing to the 17th Amendment. And, you know, Judge Andrew Napolitano actually considers the 17th Amendment to be unconstitutional. Well, it would only be unconstitutional if it was ratified in an unconstitutional manner, which is possible, but I don't know that that's what he means. Uh, and even if it was ratified in an unconstitutional manner, it has since been acquiesced to. I mean, because the Constitution itself was illegally ratified, uh, because all the states had made an agreement they would make no changes to the Articles of Confederation without unanimous agreement. That was their contract. That was their agreement. And, of course, they ratified the Constitution of the United States without unanimous agreement and even used coercion to force states like Rhode Island to cooperate and to also ratify it. And... So that would make it an illegal ratification. But since then, it's been acquiesced to. And so, the, therefore, we could say the same thing about the 17th Amendment. And this is, this is where people have difficulty in understanding what a republic is. Is because of the fact that they, they don't understand the mechanism of how governments gain power. And so, originally in the Liber Respublica of the Roman Republic, the Senate had no power. Virtually no power. Power over insignificant things that had to do with, did not have to do with the lives of the individuals of the Roman Republic. Because, you see, that's another thing about a republic, is that it is the state, small s, state, independent of its form of government, or independent of its government. Well, what state? Whenever you're talking about the state, you're talking about the state of an individual. And since they're not capitalizing, they're not talking about the state of a corporation of people, but an individual people. And when the people are independent, then they're free from things public. And you have a pure republic. The, and the leaders of that republic are titular. In other words, a name only and the people don't have to follow what they decide or what they agree upon. But they are there to create the possibility of agreement and compliance and cooperation. That's what a republic is. It's not an indirect democracy where you elect lawmakers and they go and make rules for you that you have to obey whether you like to or not. That's not a republic. That's an indirect democracy. We call that a republic today. But then again, 
Rome called itself a republic even after the Roman emperors were making rules like it was uh, it was a crime to be uh, you know t- a suspicion became a crime even to question the authority of the emperor became a crime yeah, well that's not a republic that's an imperial uh, and if the emperor is elected by a democracy or indirect democracy, it's a democratic imperialism. It's like what you have today. Federal government is in, is a semi-democratic because of the fact you do have elections. You have parties that run, put people into office. But those people that you elect, those senators, those congressmen, the president, they're not titular. They have real power. They rule over you. Even the Supreme Court can tell you what is good and what is evil. They can say, abortion is good. You have to pay for your neighbor's abortion. They can make you do that. They can say, you know, there's weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, so now you have to buy bombs so we can bomb a million people. And you have to do it. You have to pay them. Because you're in an indirect democracy where the leaders have a great deal of power. And that power has been growing now to the point of exponential power has been growing. And whose fault is this? Well, of course, they're to blame for any decisions they make. But you're to blame for giving them the power. How did you give them the power? I mean, if you were one time a true republic, free from things public. Not even a party to the Constitution. That's one of the amazing things people talk about the Constitution. Like we the people had to do with them. It's very clear even the Supreme Court has agreed that the people were not a party to the Constitution. So if you're not a party to it, then we the people can't mean you. It must mean somebody else. And of course it did. It meant the names that you see at the bottom of the document. They didn't have any power to sign for Joe Schmo, you know, in Poughkeepsie. They were they were just supposed to explore forms of government, you know, th- things that they could change in the Articles of Confederation. But they came up with this whole new document. So when they signed it, they were just sign- signing, saying, "This is what we've come up with." They didn't make any law. But we, the people who signed it, were the names at the bottom. And then anybody else who signed on to it, every congressman, every senator who agreed, everybody who took an oath to keep it, the terms of that Constitution, were now we, the people. Now, the problem today is we got oath keepers going out there saying, we're going to keep the, our oath to the Constitution. And then they begin to interpret it. Except for the, the Constitution tells you the one who gets to interpret it is the Supreme Court. It's not you. You don't get to interpret it. By its nature, you don't get to interpret it. You, you, you wheeled around this oath keeper that I'm, I'm in charge kind of thing because you think you're a free person already. But you're not. Because you don't understand operations of law. How law works. How governments get power. How, how one's liberties, rights to choose, are diminished. 
Do you understand how they can be diminished? You say, well, they're inalienable rights. Yeah, but you can you can say, if you give me a hundred dollars, I will work for you tomorrow all day long till the sun sets. You can make that agreement, and you can sign it, and he can give you a hundred dollars, and you can go bet it on the horses. But when tomorrow comes, you got to work for him all day long until the sun sets. That's the deal. You took the hundred dollars. You sold what you're going to do. You have all your inalienable rights, but you have now an inalienable obligation that you've created because you took something from him, a hundred dollars, and bet it on the horses, lost, and now you owe him. You don't have another hundred dollars to give him back, so now you got to work for him all day long. Because you made an agreement. You still have your inalienable rights, but you have an obligation. Through contract. Through agreement. Through acceptance and performance. That's the way it works. And every one of you have taken the hundred dollars. Taken the bait. Free education. Free health care. Take care of my parents. Because I don't want to do... I want to do no more for my parents. So I've signed up for this social security system. And my parents have signed up and cursed me with their debt. And then when they were sick, I didn't take care of them. I had the government, I, you know, sending a check every month to take care of them. Yeah, a bankrupt government with a bankrupt social security system was going to take care of my parents every month. And you went farther and farther into debt. And now the sun rises and you have to work all day long for the payment of that obligation. But back to a republic again. A republic, the leaders are titular. They don't have any power. Do you know, if you were to, if you were to list all the forms of government that you could possibly have in one column, and then you were to put the word republic over in the other column. And you were to draw a line from the word republic to the other column. To the government that was most like a republic. Where would that line go to? Would it go to a communist? I mean, because we got Union of Soviet Socialist Republic and the Chinese Republic which are all communist regimes, but call themselves republics. So could you draw a line over to communists? Because that's a lot like a republic. No, no. If you put all the different kinds of governments, socialism and anarchy and, and uh, you know, communist governments and uh, all these different kinds of governments over here on the right-hand side, when you drew that line, there's only one government I can think of that you could possibly draw a line to. And it's anarchy. That's right, because a pure republic is an anarchy. What is an anarchy? What, what is he talking about? An anarchy, that's chaos, right? No, anarchy is without archy. The Greek word for ruler. In a in a republic, there are no rulers. 
over the people. There are only leaders who are titular in name only. So, there are no rulers in a republic who can exercise authority over you. Now, you may give them certain jobs, like you can say to the United States federal government, you protect us from foreign invasion. You go out there and you patrol the borders to make sure that nobody invades this country. And that's that's one of the jobs that it has. And it, it, it has authority over protecting the borders. It All you should have to prove is that you're an American. And you can do that with two witnesses. You know, lots of different forms. Now, they can suddenly say, no, you can only prove that you're an American if you have one of our birth certificates. And you can only prove that you're American if you have one of our passports. But you can only get one of our passports if you sign up for our Corbin, our social security system, and waive your rights. Then you can have our passports. If they say that, then they're not protecting Americans. They're coercing you into becoming one of them. And they could actually do that, you know, and and rightfully so, they could do that because they're looking at a passport as that when you go out into the world, we will protect you because this passport, we're guaranteeing your safety. Protection draws subjection. So now they can subject you. But what if they were, just to give you what the French call a laissez-passe, you know, let them pass. And that means you don't get any protection when you go abroad. But when you come back, they will let you pass. Now, I'd be curious is that if the United States government had some deal like that, where you could actually get a, a, a form of passport that would let you come and go, but offered you no protection. Because any free American who actually existed, they, they could get that. But if you go and get a passport, they tell you in the in the statutes that you're subject to them. They tell you that anyone who gets... No one can have a passport of the United States without swearing an oath of allegiance to the United States. So, anyway, back to Republic again. So, you're beginning to see that a republic is not an indirect democracy where uh, 51% of the people can elect somebody who can take away your rights. No, a republic, a pure republic, a real republic, not what's posing as a republic today, the leaders are titular. They just simply don't have exercising authority one over the other. They cannot rule over you and your life. But we've left that a long time ago. And we've returned to the mire. We've bogged down in, in uh, systems that are very archy, very exercising of authority against the will of Christ. We'll talk about that when we come back.
welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, we were looking at this word republic. In a republic, the leaders are only titular. They gather together. So, do we have any examples of such a republic in throughout history? And, of course, early Rome, like I said, Roman history lasted over 900 years, almost a 1,000 years. And, I mean, it depends on, you know, if you're talking about the history of the people themselves or this idea that they became a republic. They didn't, the, the republic didn't last 400 years, four, 500 years tops. Certainly, it was gone by the time Augustus Caesar, at the end of the Civil War that took place, uh, you know, the Republic was dead. I mean, some of the uh, attempts to restore the Republic involved, uh, you know, uh, rebellion and, and the killing of Caligula. And, and But the Praetorian Guard had gained so much power that they just simply grabbed a hold of Claudius and held him up and said, the emperor's dead, behold, the new emperor. You know, and when they when they started these killings where they were trying to overthrow this empire, they would actually kill everybody who was in the, a member of that family because they didn't want anybody to come back, you know, and and take the reins of power and control again. And uh, And, of course, there are assassinations that have taken place in our own history. Uh, to prevent certain people who do exercise a certain amount of influence into gaining power and to informing people as to uh, what's really going on. So they have so much assistance. You know, I mean, the, the guy who was talking about as if he knew uh, what a republic was on Facebook uh, had started making comments on a... Uh, a video which was the uh, speech given by JFK where he, you know, he talks about uh, through covet means that there's, you know, the secrecy that, and everything. Um, parts of that speech we often hear on the radio program here. In, in, uh, and it's a very good speech and you should read it and uh, or hear it. Uh, it's available. I think he gave the speech originally at the Waldorf Pistoria Hotel and uh, and uh, it was a uh, speech really trying to encourage the press to back him up in trying to re-educate the people as to what has actually gone on in America and, and this loss of freedom, individual freedom in America. There's a huge collective freedom that is now the case. You know, freedom from work. You don't have to work. <laughs> That's what The collectivism is promising you peace and freedom. You don't have to work. You don't have to be responsible for yourselves. You don't have to take care of your parents. Uh, you don't have to pay for your education. You don't have to pay for your health care. You don't have to do anything. Freedom, freedom, freedom. They offer you freedom. But it's in the collective. And what that really means is that somebody's going to have to pay the light bill. Somebody's going to have to pay the cost and the expense. I mean, they've recently had SWAT teams raiding people who failed to pay their student loans. <laughs> so, all you guys who think, ah, oh, student loans are really cool because I get my education and I can put it off. I know people are actually putting off getting a good job because they, then once they get a good job, they're going to have to start paying back their student loans. And they think somehow that's a good thing. But there are people who have actually had SWAT teams come in and throw them to the ground and handcuff them because of failure to pay student loans. 
So if you think putting off your student loan payments is a good idea, you might want to think that over a little bit better. Of course, thinking hasn't really been your forte since you went out and took a student loan to begin with, which is an insane thing. The mere idea of student loans is probably the single most uh, effective way to raise the cost of education <laughs> because with all these loans coming in, all these foolish people who will take them, uh, what is, where's the motivation in universities to lower the tuition? To tighten their belts? To take a look at their budget? And see if they can produce good education that everybody would want for less money? That motivation's gone because of student loans. You see, whatever you decide to do and the way in which you decide to do it, the means by which you decide to do something, alters the outcome. And that's what you have to start to see. You have to step back and get a bigger picture of what actually is going on in the world today and in your life today. Because the die is cast, the path is set, the, you're careening down the mountainside and uh, gravity is taking over. And uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride. You know, I I saw a quote from Ben Carson uh, yesterday or last night. And it was, uh, if I get it right, we've been conditioned to think that only politicians can solve our problem. But at some point, maybe we will wake up, he says, and recognize that it was politicians who created the problems to begin with. And, and it's not unlike what Ronald Reagan said, that you can't solve the problem with government. Government is the problem. But there's a certain truth in what he says from a certain perspective. And that's the thing is you have to learn how to look at problems from different angles, from different perspectives. But the truth is, you're the problem, not the politician. It's the fact that your perspective of looking to the politician to solve the problem is the problem, not the politician. Your perspective is the problem because you're looking to him to solve the problem. Way back during the American Revolution, it says as long as you look to government to solve your problems, you will always suffer tyranny. There, that that's even more to the point. Because they're telling you it's your perspective of looking to the government to solve the problem that creates the problem to begin with. For you. You can change your perspective. You're, you're not going to change the politician. He's, he's you know, you're not going to make a skunk smell sweet with perfume. The, the skunk odor is still going to be pervasive. You just can't cover it up. By the time you've got enough perfume to cover it up, the perfume has become a noxious gas. But you can change your perspective. And your, in other words, the way you see things. 
you know, all of our shows on like the Reese Commission and everything has been attempts by wealthy philanthropic organizations to change the way in which Americans view history, their perspective, the way they see things. How do we turn that back? How do we look back the other way? Another way. A better way. A more righteous way. That's what Christ was doing. You know, the, there's a number of movements. Uh, uh, G. Edward Griffin and uh, and uh, and some other guys. Uh, I was trying to think of what their name is. Uh, it's like Utopia or something. But... Uh, and they have annual meetings and everything, and they're trying to go back, kind of a libertarian movement, trying to go back to a freer government. And uh, they have a whole list of people that they uh, uh, call upon to, uh, uh, you know, spread their philosophy and their ideas. And, uh, you know, we're not on that list. I always thought that was interesting that we, we don't seem to get on that list. But one of the reasons why is because uh, we insist upon using this name, uh, His Holy Church. And, uh, you know, people have been trying to get us on Alex Jones. He's one of the people that are on on that list. Uh, uh, Mike Adams is another guy on that list. Uh, Sheriff Mack. I know Sheriff Mack. I've met Sheriff Mack. We had long talks. Barry, uh, I make a note of how many times Sheriff Mack would whisper during our conversation. He, we were in agreement all the time, but there were certain things that, oh man, he didn't want to go. He, like he, what he used to say is, that, don't want to die on that hill. Bob Schultz, I met Bob Schultz. And, and all these guys, great guys, got lots of different ideas. Um, Phil Hart, um, Catherine Austin Fitz. Uh, I've met her. Uh, interesting lady. Um, Lots of these people are a part of their, uh, you know, DV Kid. Uh, I'm just running through the names in my head. Uh, Sharon Tenpenny. Uh, you know, and we have lots in common with them. Somehow or other, we don't seem to break into that barrier. But that's up to you. You guys have to break us into that barrier. You guys, if you hear in our message... The revelations, you know, like when I was just on the Chelly show just yesterday, the guy just is, just said, we've never had anybody like this guy <laughs> referring to me, uh, you know, that he could, he was trying to stump me, trying to uh, get under my skin in private conversations, you know, trying to figure out, so, you know, trying to testing me, which is fine. You know, I, I, I prefer that. Um, but he was shocked. That we could go almost anywhere. Now, he actually took the conversation yesterday in a direction that normally I don't do in public. We do it in private, in, in discipleship, and, and individually. Uh, it, because, and it can easily sound a little bit new agey, and people are so, uh, easily, you know, uh, twisted and turned by pushing certain buttons, certain vocabulary, use certain kinds of words or phrases, and suddenly people are off on a tangent, thinking, oh, that's New Age or something. Well, the reality is, is the, you know, uh, um, the, the, the Bible, uh, the, the New Testament, 
is full of stuff that looks actually, if you look at it, it's very new agey. I mean, Peter's seeing angels and healing the sick with his touch and, you know, it, with a shadow, just passing in a shadow, somebody could get healed. And what's really going on? What's the mechanism? Well, we got a little bit into the mechanism of that, just touched on it, uh, of how that works. Because there's actually a mechanism in the spiritual realms. You know, it's it's not just hocus pocus. Uh, you know, God has created a very well-ordered universe. And, and Christ came to teach us the truth in spirit and in truth. The kingdom of God in spirit and in truth. And spirit doesn't mean simply etherical or, or in your thoughts or in, in your imagination. It actually has a physical reality to it. And uh, so, yeah, healing is should be real to everybody. You know, and I was pointing out, and this is this, you know, in scientific journals, it's not something I made up, is that Children sometimes born with genetic disease. They have the genetic disease. They're born with it. And so, therefore, you should see the symptoms popping up in that individual. And uh, they end up with a wet nurse, you know, somebody to breastfeed them that is not of their family, doesn't have that genetic problem. They're just a wet nurse. Because the mother had a genetic disease and couldn't nurse the kid. And they thought it was important to nurse the kid. And so they were able to hire somebody who was lactating and would nurse their child. used to be very common. Of course, nursing a child was the only way to raise a child. And so it was a lot more common. Nowadays, people stick a bottle of, you know, some sort of chemical milk in their mouth and say, well, that's like just like nursing. But anyway, what they discovered was that this wet nurse, not having the genetic disposition, had an effect on the baby. And the genetic disease that was evident disappeared. Well, that's impossible. Well, no, it's not impossible. It actually happened. And it happens more than often than you would think. It doesn't happen all the time, but the reality, what is happening there? There's actually genetic material in nursing a child that goes into the body and that genetic material goes into the cell and that genetic material it becomes a part of the epigenetic makeup of the cell and will turn on genes which is the problem with most genetic diseases is that something's not turned on or something is turned on or turned up too much is overreacting and so by bringing this extra genetic material into the diet of the child through nursing, the child was cured. There have been children with autism that were actually, because their parents had, their mother had problems, the child was actually being raised in a mental institution because the child stayed with the mother. The presence in the mental institution cured the autism. Did you know autism can be cured? Schizophrenia can be cured? Not in the way that most people want to do it, but it can actually be cured, be overcome. There may be residual effects of it for a long time, but I, I believe that even those residual effects can be cured.
But you have to start looking at the reality that you're in with a broader view. Where you take in not just the physical evidence that you see there, which is like looking, trying to study genetics without studying epigenetics. You know, you're just going to get the DNA strand, the double helix, and, and put the whole code together. But when they do that, they see that, you know, the 45 to 50 percent of the code isn't even turned on. It's having no, no effect. They, they, they can't figure out what's that doing. Well, that's because most of your genetic code is turned off. But your epigenetic material, that other material that's in each individual cell, can actually have an effect on turning those genes on. Well, that's that's just in the genetic realm of your makeup. Let's take a look at some of the other realms. Your, your nervous system, your muscular system. Uh, how about your spiritual system? You know, we, we look at the physical body and we say there's muscles and there's bones and there's all this structure, you know, and we see the nervous system and the digestive system and all these different systems because we can draw pictures of them and, you know, put them up on a board and you say, well, that's the complexity of a man. But when we re- make reference to the spiritual side of a man, it's just the spiritual side. You know, it's this kind of vague, ghostly spiritual side. But it's just as complex. Your spiritual mechanism is just as complex, maybe even a little more so, than your physical being. And it has all kinds of little things to it that you, most of you are completely unaware of. You're just the same as you're unaware of what's going on in your, in your epigenetic uh, DNA, or your DNA, you don't even know what all that is. I mean, the the biggest vision you have of yourself is you get in the bathroom mirror. You you need to understand all of that. So what's keeping you from understanding all of that? Well, there's actually lots of things that are keeping you from understanding all of that. And um, that's what Christ came to help you see. To help you see how this works. And uh, had a remarkable change on a small portion, 3 or 5% of the uh, Roman population. And only about 5% maximum ever, ever became Christian. And then you have to realize that some of the people that became Christian were not, not really all that Christian. But amongst them were maybe 3%, 1.5%, 2% depending on where you want to draw the line, that were really Christian. And these people were able to foresee things that were coming and stand up and say, hey, you know, there's going to be a depression. There's going to be an invasion. There's going to be, uh, there's going to be this disaster or that disaster. Uh, they were able to say, well, here's the solution. This is where we got to go. Here's, here's what we do. And they were actually able to lay hands on people and those people would be healed if those people were receptive to the same spirit. And and this is some of the things that we talked about on on this other show, is that you know like the woman who uh, touched the hem of Jesus's garment wasn't just any woman. 
She was a woman ready to receive the Spirit of Christ. His character. She was receptive to it. That means she had to accept the idea of forgiving. She had to accept the idea of giving. She had to accept the idea of sacrifice yourself for others, to lay down your life for others. She had to accept that. I mean, not just in her head, but all the way down into her being, into her spirit. Because she was willing to accept that, she also received healing simply by touching the hem of his garment. He actually felt energy going out of him. So, you hear me talking about these things. You hear me also explaining the mechanism of your bondage today in the world and of the world. What are you doing about it? Are you, are you willing to receive your understanding, your, your personal responsibility for the condition of the world today? If you are, are you willing to sacrifice today for your fellow man? Like Christ came to sacrifice himself that you might be saved. Who are you going to sacrifice yourself for that they might be saved? Your children? Your grandchildren? Your neighbor? Because you've got to care about your neighbor just as much as you care about your own children. If you don't, Christ is not in you. Not the way he needs to be in you. For you to be healed. So anyway, we started out the show and I explained the simple thing that a republic, a pure republic, the original idea of a republic, libera res publica, free from things public, had leaders that are titular only. Don't exercise authority. A pure republic is a collective of individuals. Where the power of governing is separate from the administration of government, the, the people who actually, you know, perform the services of government. Those people who perform the services of government, they cannot compel your offerings. Those offerings, those taxes, can only be compelled upon you by you. You have to choose to give. And the reason you choose to give, you need to choose to give, is because if you don't lay down your life, you will not have life more abundant. Christ came to give, not to take. He was a kingdom, a king who came to give you the power to rule yourselves, not to rule over you. It's a different spirit than what you see in governments of the world today. Because they're not of Christ. They're of another spirit. We're going to talk about this other spirit eventually here in this series. But you have, you have gone away from the ways of Christ and returned to the mire. You have become entangled again in the elements of the world. Because you look to the world... To solve your problems. To provide for you. To take care of you. To protect you. Even though you knew the world would only do this at the expense of your neighbor. You accepted that that was okay. And you turned a blind eye to the fact that the rulers that you are electing are only going to be able to help you by taking away from your neighbor. Fundamentally, from day one, you have been going the wrong way. 
once you ratified your Constitution of the United States. Now, I'm not saying get rid of it. I think it should be there because the slothful should be under tribute. And, you know, I mean, the same reason why Samuel appointed Saul. He knew it was a bad idea, but the people wanted it. And God knew it was a bad idea, but the people wanted it. And God said, give them what they want. That's what they choose to have. Let them have that. I say the same thing. But I will say the same speech that Samuel said. They will take and take and take and take and take and take until you finally cry out. And that, of course, is where you're at today. After 200 years of taking, the taking has become unbelievable. What's the solution? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next on Keys of the Kingdom. So stay tuned. We're going to find the solution to the error of your ways. We'll be right back. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about the fact that a republic is actually an anarchy because it has no rulers who can exercise authority. He has rulers that are titular in name only. That uh, they do have certain authorities. You know, like I said, the, the federal government is supposed to protect the borders. Now, that was the original intent, maybe, of of their what people like to call the forefathers or the founding fathers. And and I think a lot of the founding fathers were pretty good guys. I'd love to have them as neighbors. I, I would debate them. And they would probably love to debate. Uh, 
the idea that the Constitution was a good idea, no, it was not a good idea, but it was an idea. And there evidently was time for that idea because of the fact that the state of the people uh, was allowed for that. Now, you have to realize that most of the people were against the Constitution. Had it been put to a popular vote, it would have been voted down. So, And, and most people are completely unaware of that, but yet historic, historians all agree that that's the case, that the Constitution was not a popular document. There wasn't all these people running around being oath keepers because they wouldn't take an oath. I mean, there was a huge movement in America at that time not to take any oaths. They wouldn't swear any oaths uh, because of the fact of the biblical prohibition against taking oaths. And so, you know, today we have oath keepers who consider themselves Christians because they're oath keepers. When Jesus said, swear not, not at all, not by heaven, not by anything. Because anything more than yes for yes and no for no cometh of evil. And the oath keeper doesn't realize, you know, he he may be well-intentioned. And he wants to keep that constitution. But the reality is most of the power that has grown because of the constitution has grown because of the covenants, the contracts that, that you've made with this entity that was created this United States federal government that was created by the Constitution. You know, I mean, there's a huge thing floating around where people are trying, you know, debating, you know, the United States is a corporation, and the United States is not a corporation. And I, I remember even D.B. Kidd, when she first heard the argument that the United States was a corporation, she, she was against that. I don't know where she stands now. But the reality is, is that the best argument that the United States is a corporation is the Constitution itself. I mean, it reads like a corporate charter. And so, yeah, it's a corporation. The question is, is, you know, what are the elements of a corporation? Two or more people gather together as if they were one person. In other words, it's a functioning entity. You create an entity and it can function as one individual. But it's composed of multiple individuals. So that's, that's the basic mechanism of a corporation. But there's one other element is under what authority is this agreement making more than one person function as one person? Where's the agreement to do that? And under what authority is that agreement made? And the Constitution was made under the authority of the states and the authority of those people who swore to uphold the Constitution. And so... The states incorporated the United States federal government to begin with. Because they're the ones who ratified and accepted the idea that two or more people, you know, senators, congressmen, presidents, postmen, were all going to be working together as one person, as this United States federal government, with one voice. And it, it, gave, it prescribed duties that it was going to have to perform. And it would have authority to perform those duties. Over the individual had almost no authority whatsoever. But that was back then. Now, there's another clause in that Constitution, which is called the Contract Clause. And in that Contract Clause, it says, you know, basically the, the, the theme song of the United Nations is, is Pacta Servanda Sunt, agreements must be kept. And since then, people have uh, made lots of agreements 
including the states, have made lots of agreements with the United States government. Enough agreements so that the United States federal government has gone into debt on the behalf of those people who made those agreements. That seals the contracts in your blood. You're sealing, you're, you're signing these contracts in blood. When you take a benefit at the expense of your neighbor, his blood seals you now. Just like that $100 we gave in the last show, the $100 example where, you know, if you give me $100 today, I will work for you tomorrow. Kind of the, the, the wimpy approach to, uh, economy. If anybody remembers the character, I think it was named Wimpy in the, in the Popeye cartoons, you know, I, if you will give me a nickel today for a hamburger, you know, uh, this is, of course, and, and that is a violation of the principles of Sabbath, which is to work and then, you know, reap the rewards of your labor, not reap the rewards of your labor that you are going to owe tomorrow. I mean, it's so basic. People do all this arguing about the Sabbath. You know, and they say, well, we should keep the Sabbath and all this stuff. It's He's telling you something. It's a message. <laughs> you know, it's like listening to a parable and then thinking that we all have to do the same exact thing as the parable says. The parable is a story to present an idea. And that's why you see them, because... You know, explain the Sabbath. Well, because the Lord worked first and then took his day of rest. That's it. That's the Sabbath. As simple as that. You don't need a calendar. You don't need to count days. You don't need any of that. You just you need to understand you got to work first and then earn what it is that you want to receive. You cannot go into debt. That, that's it. That's it. That's the whole sum total kitten caboodle of Sabbath keeping. And so all the guys that think that, oh, we're keeping the Sabbath, you know, the Lord's Day and all this kind of on and on and on, but they're in debt up to their ears. Well, you ain't a Sabbath keeper. You're a day counter. You're a keeper of days. That's, But you're not a keeper of righteousness because you've sold yourself for benefits. You know, you wanted something today and you were willing to sell tomorrow to get it. You were even willing to sell your children. Because most of the debt that people have, even if you paid for your house, supposedly, most of the debt you have is to the New World Order. To the, you know, the traveling merchants of the earth. They own you. They own you. They own your children. They own your grandchildren. And some people says, oh, we just got to go along to get along. Let's not make waves. And, you know, like, you know, we we have to do this. How else are we going to get a new house and, you know, and, and nice stuff and all this kind of stuff? Well, okay, that's important to you. Go for it. So anyway, a republic, your leaders don't have any authority. So where is the authority? It's with you. You have the authority. You have the authority over your life. And what you do with your life. So how do you form a government where everybody can do whatever they want? That's total chaos. Well, it's total chaos amongst people who have not the heart of Christ. 
if you have the heart of Christ and you come because you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, you care about others as much as you care about yourself, you love your neighbor as yourself, you love your neighbor's rights as much as you love your own rights, you love your neighbor's children as much as you love your own children. If that's the character that's in you, if that Christ is in you, where's the chaos? Order will naturally ensue. You're all thinking the same way, right? You're all thinking like Christ. You all have the mind of Christ. The Christ consciousness. I mean, these are labels that we put on. You're not going to find Christ consciousness, I think, in the New Testament. I don't ever remember reading it anywhere. <laughs> but we have, you know, phrases in the in the New Testament that lead us to believe that. I mean, Christ is, for one thing, the word anointing. If you have the anointing of Jesus in your heart and in your mind, and we do have phrases like that, I shall write my laws upon their heart and upon their mind, and they will be to me a people. Well, then you're not going to have chaos. Because we're all thinking along the same lines. Now, we may not be doing it perfectly, and that's what we have to work out with fear and trembling, but that's what's going to be happening. You know, but if you mention Christianity to some of these people like uh, the libertarians, they go like, oh, no, we don't have anything to do with religion. We just don't want to have be a part of Social Security. Social Security is a religious program. Once you understand the definition of religion, you think republic is the only word that they've been messing around with? Religion. It's how you take care of that love for your neighbor. You know, that... You know, I mentioned this on the radio show yesterday that uh, when I was out working on the desert, my truck started, truck radio suddenly started working. I don't listen to radio much. I'm too busy listening to what God has to say, which is a unique idea for most people. But anyway, um, in uh, dealing with... uh, you know, listening to this radio as it started to work, I I got a, a station that came in, the only station that come in out here, and it happened to have Hillary Clinton's speech on it. And she was saying, uh, we need more love and kindness in America. And the crowd just cheered, just absolutely enthusiastically cheered. But I thought, you know, like I've been watching this lady for a long time. And I'm not really convinced she understands the meaning of the word love and kindness. (laughs) I think they mean something different than she thinks they mean. And uh, but you're right. She's absolutely right. And this the devil loves to do this. You know, I'm not calling her a devil. It's not about personalities. You know, I mean, I know people who are not real far from the kingdom and they're voting for Bernie Sanders. And I probably know some that may be voting for Hillary uh, that are not far from the kingdom. And yet I know other people that are, you know, maybe for Ben Carson who may be a long ways away from the kingdom or Donald Trump. I mean, so many people I'm running into now are for Donald Trump. And, And like... Uh, it's it's just fascinating. I I mean, when I first was watching Donald Trump, and this goes back to Bill Clinton, I heard his voice from another room while I was working on somebody's door, and uh, I thought, like, that's an evil voice. Who is that? I couldn't even make out what he was saying. I just heard the tone, 
And he, he wasn't yet president. He was, I think he was still governor or something. And uh, I knew well, this guy is a, a very good liar. And I could tell that. You know, and I don't follow political people too closely. But, I mean, obviously we, we know who he is because he's been around for a long time. And Hillary's been around just as long. People can't hear the line there. Is because they're they're not submerged in the truth. They're they're dabbling in the lie. They've accepted some of the lie themselves. Like it's okay to take away from your neighbor as long as you do it through government. That's a lie. That's antichrist. That's against Christ. But once you start accepting those ideas, other ideas can come in and poison your mind and keep you it, you become a part of the collective unconscious. Now, I, I use the words collective unconscious and the collective consciousness. And, well, you know, the word conscious uh, has to do with being aware of something. Well, people who are aligned with evil are very aware of evil. And they all begin to think very much along evil lines. They, Their solutions will follow the ways of evil. Uh, very uniformly. And they have a collective form of thinking. It's what I would call the collective unconscious. Because it's unconscious uniformly with certain elements of the truth. They have a certain collective consciousness, but only of elements of the lie. They like the lie. They believe the lie is the truth. They call evil good. But then they have to, when they, when they see the good, they have to call that evil because they don't want to see that. That's bad. That's They've rejected that. So you're having the whole society on this planet dividing itself into two groups. And it's not Republican and Democrat. Those are both over there on the same side. And, and I've seen people who've you know, done some studies of this and everything, and they look like, well, th- these are uh, liberals, and these are what we call conservatives. But they're actually both on the same side. The conservative is just a little less liberal than the liberal. So where should we actually make the division? Uh, a guy, G. Edward Griffin, who I mentioned before, uh, he makes the division uh, between the collectivist and the individual. Well, of course, the libertarians do the same thing. The libertarians who uh, who don't want to have anything to do with Christ or religion or anything, but they don't understand that Social Security is a religious program. That there's a certain element of religion in almost every aspect of society. Uh, people treat medical doctors, medical practice, vaccinations, you know, with a religious fervor. You can have all kinds of evidence that, you know, if you vaccinate your children at a very small age, your percentage and likelihood of having autism and other difficulties, respiratory difficulties, asthma and all these other things, go up exponentially. I mean, it's just statistically the facts. But then they'll come out and say, but there's no direct correlation between autism and vaccines. But they know... You can take this whole section of the population who's getting vaccines 
in this section over here who's not getting vaccines, you know, like the Amish, and you can count the number of autistic children and the ones who get the vaccines, the autism is up tremendously. I mean, it's just, just and a lot. Not just like a few percentage points. It's like double percentages, you know. And the ones who don't get any, they don't have hardly any autism. But they said, but there's no direct connection. But statistically, it's what they, I mean, people go get life imprisonment for less evidence than that. So what are they looking for? What's the difficulty? And there's anybody who, but they have a religious fervor to accepting the fact that, no, this is okay. And one of the things that causes this is they've already given their children those vaccinations or their parents gave them the vaccinations and they, or the, the idea that vaccinations might not be as effective as everybody says is so scary they don't even want to accept the idea. So religiously, they promote the idea of vaccination. GMOs. Religiously, they promote the idea. Why? Because religiously, they have accepted scientists' opinion. That's truth. They they don't need reason anymore. They just, you know, put the science says. I'm not a doctor, but I perform one on TV. And I'm wearing a white coat, so you will automatically believe what I have to say more than somebody who's wearing blue jeans and a flannel shirt. <laughs> because you have a religious proclivity to accepting anything that comes out of the medical institution because you're afraid not to have that as your savior. That's your savior. That's your, you know, Augustus Caesar was the savior of Rome. Jesus Christ was the savior of mankind. He wasn't going to limit it to Rome. But you could reject Jesus Christ any place where he disagreed with Caesar. And of course, that's why Christians were persecuted. Because Caesar, the genius of Caesar, said Social Security works. Welfare works. The government can solve your problems. Jesus was saying, no, the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority can't solve your problems. The way you solve your problems is that you lay down your life for your fellow man. You live by love, by faith, by hope, by charity. You seek righteousness, not loyalty to a flag or to a government or to an ideology, but righteousness. And that's what it is. See, repent. Think a different way. Your loyalty needs to be to righteousness, even at the cost of at your own personal expense. So now, how do we get people together to start doing that? Because if you start laying down your life to do that, you're going to tap into that virtue that healed that woman. You're going to tap into Christ. And it will heal you. It will it will make you better. It will make you stronger. It will protect you. And with some of the stories that we were talking about on the show uh, with Ocelli was that uh, Chuck, we'll just refer to him as Chuck, uh, so, uh, was, you know, the fact that 
as soon as you begin to accept those ways of Christ, it's like having a different nursemaid, you know, a wet nurse. And it's going to bring new epigenetic material into your life. Spiritual epigenetic material into your life. And we talked about that in the last show. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. Is that diseases can actually sometimes genetic diseases. Which they believe there is no cure for. Can be cured simply by having a wet nurse that doesn't have those genetic problems. Amazing. Astounding. You know, so... uh this is this is what happens spiritually in the mechanism spiritually that when you begin to have Christ as your wet nurse when you begin to live according to his way his enlightenment his character his you know his epigenetic spirituality then it then his epigenetic dna spiritual dna gets into you and begins to turn on your spiritual DNA. And you begin to see things you couldn't see before. You begin to know things that you couldn't know before. You begin, you know, people, everybody wants you to interpret revelations. This is what the program was supposed to be about the other day. But with Chuck, was the end times. Well, what you want to know about the end times is how did the people who knew about the end times know about the end times? You don't want to read what they have and try to interpret it, you know, because you're, you're only reading what somebody's translated and you don't know its context within that period. And it wasn't written to, you know, inform you. It was written cryptically. The only way you're really going to know what it says is to tap into the same spirit that that individual had. The, these These prophetic things that they say in the book... Is only written so that after it happens, you can go back and say, oh, look, that fit. Because before it happens, when you try to fit it, you could fit all kinds of scenarios. Because it's not meant to pre-warn you. It's it's meant to tell you, I told you so. <laughs> that I showed you, but you you wouldn't let me write upon your heart and upon your mind. Because you wouldn't put on the character of Christ and live by His righteousness. You wanted to covet your neighbor's goods. You wanted to be selfish and slothful and lazy. You didn't want to share what you had with your fellow man. You didn't want to lay down your life for your fellow man, which is the character of Christ. You wanted to pretend you were like Christ, but not actually have the trouble of being like Christ. So you create religions that say, you're saved already because you thought a thought. Because you think Christ is God, you're saved. You don't have to change. Isn't that the most satanic thing? You don't have to change. You don't have to look at your heart behind your curtain. You can fake Christianity. And you will automatically be saved. No, you can't. Without the fruits of repentance... Your faith is dead. And that's why you don't heal people. That's why you can't see what's coming. That's why you want somebody to interpret the end times and revelations for you and tell you what to do. We're all resisting laying down these things that we, you know, are blanky. 
our teddy bear, our little comforter, the things that we have, the religious comfort. You know, I've got the Sabbath day. You know, it makes me feel comfortable because I'm I'm taking I'm taking a rest on His day. What did you do the rest of the week? These are these are uh, comforters that are not of the Holy Spirit. When you're really walking in the Holy Spirit, you don't need any of that. I'm not saying get rid of you know some traditions, but don't use them as a comforter. I'm not saying cut down the tree of knowledge either. God didn't say cut down the tree of knowledge. No, knowledge is fine. You just have to eat of the tree of life. When you you think I figured out which day the Sabbath is on. You're eating of the tree of knowledge. When you understand the principle of the Sabbath, now you're eating of the tree of life. I can tell you what the principle is, but will you really know it? You know, there's a lot of things I don't tell people. Because how will I know when they really get it? How will they know when they really get it if they're just learning it from me? I have to talk about all these intellectual things like republics and and uh, DNA and all these kinds of things to give you something to hang the spiritual information on. But in reality, you only have it when it's yours. Like keeping moral. You know, uh, not having relationships until you're actually married. That's not an easy thing to do. Hormones are are, are pressing on people. Calling to people, dragging them away. That's the world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh, that's hormones mostly. But you have to come into agreement with what is right. And move from what is right. But you have to do it because it's you're letting God write upon your heart and your mind. You're not being tossed to and fro. By the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, I saw an interesting thing the other day. We're going to end up in a break here, but uh, um, and I'll talk to you about it. I saw a guy uh, just slap a girl on the street and knock her down. Another guy came up and kicked her and knocked her down, and and they thought it was funny. And uh, it rose something up in me, and I had a very interesting revelation because I, you know. I, I had visions of a baseball bat to their head. But then I realized something. And I'll share it with you when we come back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I was telling you, I saw this video of somebody who stopped a girl on the street. And uh, it was a refugee from probably North Africa somewhere. Mauritania or something, just by looking at the individual. And uh, uh, he uh, he approached her, evidently was asking her something uh, that was probably illicit. 
and uh, she tried to turn her way and walk around him and go on her way, and he blocked her again, and she was unresponsive and tried to get around him some more, and so he slapped her and knocked her down, you know, hit her across the face and knocked her down. She got up and trying to avoid this violent confrontation, continued on to join her friends that were farther down the road, and and another guy who was with this first individual runs up and knocks her feet and knocks her down on the concrete again. And they laughed about it. And they jeered about it. This cruelty. And something welled up inside me. And I've seen this before. Uh, you know, when I've been in courtrooms and stuff. And it's, it's, so it's still hanging on. You know, I don't walk on water for a reason. Uh, you know, I thought, like, I would like to take a baseball bat to that guy and knock him down. And, uh, but I realized this is that, that spirit in me that wanted to do that, to wreak vengeance upon him, you know, to teach him a lesson, is the same spirit that caused him to do that unjust thing to her. And, that is a big temptation in us. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't do anything, but my obligation is to protect the weak, not to punish the wicked. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we have an entire um, prison system today that is supposedly vengeance upon the criminal. You have to pay your price. I think that that is like Anybody who tells you that, uh, need, did you pay your debt to society? In other words, spend 10 years in jail. That's not paying a debt to society. That's creating debt. It's going to cost, you know, 10 years in jail is half a million dollars. That's what it's going to cost society to keep you in jail for 10 years is $400,000. It's crazy. Not only the loss of productivity of an individual you could have been serving, making hamburgers at McDonald's at least. That would have been better than spending 10 years in jail. You didn't pay a debt to society. You created debt. Somehow they think, well, that's that's our prison system. That's our judicial system. It's, It's crazy. It's insane. To be putting people in jail for, you know, stealing $300, $600, put them in jail so that it costs society a million bucks. That's insane. Absolutely insane. And you guys are doing it. And you think I'm weird. I mean, with your technology today, you could put a leg bracelet on the guy. You know, you could could put a 24-hour monitor on the guy. Uh, that would know where he's going, what he says, who he talks to, and record the whole thing. You know, and it wouldn't cost you a fraction of what it's going to cost you. And you can put him, put him to work. You know, say, well, you got to get a job. You don't get a job, you go to prison. And we're not going to put you to the nice prison. We're going to put you to a prison that really is distasteful. There's bad odors there, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Whatever. If you don't, be a productive member of society. In other words, get a job, do something. And then pay back for what you've cost society. Pay it back to society. So like you can, you could go get a job in a nursing home or go get a job somewhere where you're actually, you know, pick up trash on the streets. I don't care. 
The idea of putting him in prison at the cost of $40,000 a year is ridiculous. It's absurd. So anyway, the point is is that your judicial system is not a system of vengeance. It's supposed to be a system of protection. The only reason you incarcerate somebody is they are actually a threat to the peace and safety of others. There's no reason to incarcerate somebody as if that's somehow going to pay a debt to society. It doesn't pay a debt. It creates debt. Okay. So we get that. Now do you get it in your heart? Because I wanted that baseball bat not to protect that girl. Although in my mind I could rationalize it was to protect the next girl. The next person that this violent individual was intending to hurt. But really, what I needed to do is smack him before he hit her in the mouth. When she, when her arm is swing, his arm is swinging towards her face, that's when I grab his arm. And but the reality is I wasn't there, so I'm just looking at a video. But the emotion was still rose up in me to protect that person, and I I I could see that that emotion was coming because that spirit is still in me. And that's why God has me still taking care of sheep. I was out late last night, uh, you know, at midnight and at two o'clock, because we're lambing. And uh, you have to go out there and, you know, make sure that some of the sheep don't run over the lamb, make sure the lamb is getting milk and, and, uh, and, because they need help sometimes. And you have to be there. So you, you go out there, and then the dog goes running around. And I thought, oh, that dog is over there. I thought I'd left that locked up. Because something's scaring these sheep across the pen and causing them to crowd and endangering the lamb. And it wasn't the dog. It was the cat, that darn cat. <laughs> and I was looking all over for the dog, but it was skulking around. The cat had to come into the pen because I was in the pen. I don't know what cats seem to like to get under my feet. <laughs> and it irritated me. I was looking for a big rock to throw at the cat to get that cat out of there because it's spooking the sheep. Uh, but that's the same spirit of anger. Well, it's okay if I throw a rock at the cat, but uh, but I don't want to be taking baseball bats. I want to save that individual to make him aware to show him the hell he is entertaining. Now that is doable when you really have Christ in you. You can walk up to somebody like that when you have that true spirit of Christ and you can look into his eyes and you will scare the hell out of him. I mean, literally. Because you will look at the hell that has gotten a hold of him. And that's what's happened. Hell has gotten a hold of him. He has been influenced by the spirits dwelling in a realm, a parallel dimension we call hell. And they are now controlling his actions. And he may like it. He may not be possessed. He may desire. He has made a choice inside himself to to let that hell into his life because he is compatible with that spirit. And it's dwelling in him. Hell is almost empty. All the demons are here. And they're coming in at a regular rate. And they're occupying people. 
and causing them to, you know, cut heads off of children and and all kinds of evils. I mean, this whole idea of cutting heads off, that's, that is evidence of a spirit from another realm that wants to dominate and control. That's, that's the rule in that realm. That's the, that's the spirit in that realm. And it, it wants you to do the same. And so when it wanted me to take a baseball bat to those guys, I knew I was listening to that spirit. Because that's not the spirit of Christ. I'm not against using a baseball bat again. But that's not really where the power is. You may have to at times. Because you have to protect the innocent. But if you're doing it out of vengeance and not actually for protecting, now you're falling into their realm. You're being drawn into their realm. You're being drawn into the evil side, the dark side, and forever will it control your destiny. So you want to be over here on this other side of compassion and love. And that's the more powerful side. And that's another realm we call heaven. Sometimes we call it heaven. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. And it's this other parallel realm. And we want to be drawn towards that. And drawn towards those ways. And have those spirits. The spirit of that realm. The spirit of God. Enter into us. Right upon our hearts and our minds. Guide us in our everyday choices. In order to do that. We have to sacrifice our ego. And sometimes we have to sacrifice our comfort. And we have, because that's what, it's a, It's not about cutting heads off and sacrificing others. It's about giving life. And see, you, you're already making these alignments in your life. You know, when you have children, you're sacrificing your life for your children to a greater or lesser degree. Everybody does it. Everybody who's a parent has done this somewhat. The more you do it, the more Christ enters into you. The more the nature of Christ enters into you. And in the more areas of your life that you do it in, the more Christ can enter into you. You're drawn near Christ and Christ near you by your sacrifice. By your giving of your time, your energy, your blood, your, your money even. Your comfort. You give up your comfort so that others may be comforted. Not comfortable, but comforted. In other words, when people are in stress. You know, all the problems with depression that people have can go away if you have the unselfish forgiveness of Christ. It will draw you more and more out of your depression and more and more into the comfort of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. You won't need drugs to make you feel comfortable. They don't really work anyway. Because they actually, drugs will actually draw you to the area, to the, to, to that collective unconsciousness. But anyway, I put a webpage up last night, collectivism, at preparingyou.com. And it's really basically just a video by G. Edward Griffin about this collective conspiracy. 
And he doesn't divide the world into Republican and Democratic parties or even Libertarian. But he divides it into the collective on one side and individualism on the other. The opposing forces individualism. Now, I, w- I would divide the world into righteousness and unrighteousness. And righteousness is an individual thing. Because only an individual can be righteous or unrighteous. Because that's the only place there is choice. And the reason there is choice is because God has withdrawn His will and allowed you to make a choice. And you make that choice. You make that choice on a regular basis. And that choice is not always wisely done. Uh, and so anyway he had a I think it was an hour and 24 minutes or something like that video and so you can you can listen to it I was waiting for a sheep to have her lamb so I came in and listened to it while I was there but he talks about all collectivist systems eventually deteriorate into a police state because that's the only way you can hold it all together and and from his point of view, I know what he's saying. because, But the early church was a collective. But it was a collective of individuals. Which is why I, I'm fond of saying that we have to learn to stand alone together. Because an individualist, individualist stands alone. He, he, he is answerable for his righteousness and unrighteousness alone. His, God is writing upon his heart and his mind alone as an individual. But that individual has to be somehow come together for it to be a kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of individuals. There is no king in Israel. And of course now Israel, what is Israel? It's a place where God prevails. It's not a geographical location any more than the Sabbath is a day. Israel is a place where God prevails. It's not a geopolitical organization. It's it's a place where God prevails. And where does God prevail? In your heart and in your mind. And when it does so in spirit and truth, then you become a manifestation of Christ. You don't need no baseball bat. I'm not telling you to throw your baseball bat away. Go ahead and have a baseball bat. I mean, even Christ said, you know, if you don't have a sword, go out and get it. But the real power is in the power of Christ. If you can touch a person and heal them, you could touch a person and kill them. Of course, it won't be you. It'll be the Spirit moving in you. Now, generally speaking, the Spirit does not kill. But in the case of Peter, he didn't actually have to touch Ananias. But Ananias dropped dead just the same. Because Ananias would not receive the Holy Spirit. Yet he came... To receive the Holy Spirit, or so he said. But he lied when he came. But God worked that out. And that's the power. You know, I tell people, you want to come here, uh, you better ask Christ first. Don't come here unless God is sending you. And that you're coming to actually hear the truth. In your heart and in your mind, as an individual. And and we're open to that. If you're interested in coming here for discipleship and learning the ways of the force of, of Christ, you know, the kingdom of God, 
You know, we're open to that. You can make application through the network. Join the network. Start to get to know the people. We have people traveling around and people. And, you know, I can see, you know, I can't see all the time, but I, I can see who is, you know, that I need to help. But you have to kind of go through the network. Go through channels. So, the kingdom of God is this collection of individuals. So, the it is a collective. Not in the sense that Griffin is using the term. He's using it very isolated. Collectivism is this imposed collectivism. Now, in the kingdom of God, the collectivism of God is imposed too. But it's imposed because you've accepted God. Accepted the ways of God. Accepted the character of Christ into your heart and into your mind. And now faith will compel you. Faith in the real Christ will compel you to action. A lot of people tell me they believe in Jesus, but I look at what they're doing and I say, you're not doing what Jesus said. They said, but we believe in Jesus. And I have to say, I don't think you believe in Jesus. And of course, that's what James says. You claim to have faith, but where's your works? If I don't see the works, I don't believe you have faith. You're fooling yourself. The kingdom of God is a collective of the heart because God is writing upon your heart and your mind and you are allowing God to do that because you're accepting the ways of God. So every aspect of the character of God, every genetic characteristic of Christ that you accept writes Christ on your heart more completely. It is putting on the full armor of God. You have to walk in forgiveness. Walk in sacrifice. Walk in service to others. You have to be courageous enough to say no to those that you are enabling and weakening. Because service isn't always doing for people what they want. When the lady came to Jesus and said she wanted to be healed or her son to be healed, and he says, I'm here to help the children why did he say that you could tell he was goading her to come to a realization that she had not yet accepted wholly and she finally humbled herself and said even the dogs get to eat of the crumbs of your table she she took one more step towards humility and that prepared her for receiving the gift how many steps towards humility need do you do you need to make? Yeah, nothing more humiliating <laughs> than working with sheep during lambing. But it's good because it brings you face to face with your own impatience. Your own intolerable character, that 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 spirit of hell that still dwells within you. It's not just an accident that God pulled David, a king after his own heart, from shepherd school. So anyway, um, there's a collectivism even in the kingdom of God, but it's compelled by love, not by the desire to hold power over others. Therefore, we do not cut off heads we do not oppress even the stranger in our midst. We come to serve, to lay down our lives for others. 
This is how you put on the full armor of God. This is how you strap and gird yourself for the battle ahead. And there is a huge battle ahead. It is coming. It is time that we prepared for it. And Griffin and those people that are gathered with him, you know, there are evidence of the kingdom and what they talk about. Talks about Carol Quigley and, and you know, from Georgetown University, uh, uh, who's a professor. I mean, there's a lot of other professors like him, but he wrote some book, Tragedy and Hope. But um, the fact is, is there's this dialectic. And it's all over there on one side, the Hegelian dialectic. And he talks about that too. And, you know, and he, he puts Sarah Palin and Glenn Beck even over there on this other side because he, they're not really willing to put on the whole truth. Now, I'm not, I'm not condemning any of those people. But the reality is whether they accept the whole truth or not is irrelevant. This is a, this is a journey of individuals. You have to accept the whole truth. I can accept the Tea Partiers for what the Tea Partiers are. I don't, I don't, I don't put them in a collective. They put themselves there. I don't, I don't, I can accept Glenn Beck for who he is. I don't put these people up on pedestals. I don't put these people up as these are our leaders and give them power to rule over my thinking. I just see everybody as individuals. And I can deal with what they see is righteous and, and they do see many things. But I can also bring to them what they don't see. So that they too can put on the full armor. Whether they do or not, it's, it's beyond me. The Council on Foreign Relations and the New World Order and, and all these things that are people are moving towards, uh, you know, that's not the problem. We're the problem. Because we don't want to see the whole truth. And that's what Patrick Henry said. He, he, as for me, I, I want to see the whole truth. He was against the Constitution. He said this, book, this, this document was written as if good men will take office. He understood that when bad men take office, bad things are going to happen. They were going to steal your rights. They're not, it's, that's actually an over-exaggeration because they don't actually steal them. You'll sell them. For benefits. For comfort. Because the Holy Spirit is not your comforter. You can actually be comfortable taking from your neighbor. You can actually be comfortable going to public school. You can actually be comfortable with taking health care at the expense of your neighbor. You, When you're not comfortable uh, with that characteristic of socialism, of that covetousness of socialism, then you will begin to know more of the truth until maybe someday you will know the whole truth. You need to know the whole truth about yourself. You have to ask yourself, what do you want? And he actually brings this up. Griffin brings it up in the end of the video. What do you want? We know what you don't want. You don't want high taxes. You don't want to be oppressed. You don't want to be controlled by others. But do you want to withdraw your will from others? Do you want to set others free? Until you want to set others free, you yourself cannot be free and should not be free.
But until next week, peace on your house anyway. And may God bless you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.